Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Your way to your seat, that would be amazing. Feel free to make your way into the middle a little bit. If you're sitting out on the periphery, a warm welcome online. Uh, if you're joining us from somewhere else or later on uh, in time and space. Thank you, Josh. That's good. How are we all doing? We're good. Who's excited for next week? It's a weird thing to say this week, eh? Who's excited for the final next week? Anyone aware of the result of today's game? No? Anyone want to be aware of the result of today's game? You can find out on your own later. I don't, last week I announced it and I felt like I endangered myself slightly. Uh, but do stay tuned. We've got some uh, exciting things planned for next week. I won't confirm any of them quite yet because we're nailing them down. But suffice to say, we're looking forward to celebrating uh, together. It's going to be good. But if we haven't met yet, uh, my name is Jono. It's a, a privilege, my privilege, to welcome you to church today. Uh, and, and you are, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been here for a while, joining us on week two on our series on fasting. fasting. That's right. And that's the most excited a room has sounded about fasting uh, in a long time. Uh, and so as a church, we're uh, taking a, a little bit of time, I guess, to, to look a bit deeper at what fasting is. Uh, about why we, we do fasting. Because in a few weeks' time, as Nick said, we're starting our yearly rhythm of fasting for 21 days, from the 6th of uh, November through to the, the 26th of November. And, and really, we're taking time to talk about fasting before our annual fast because we want to bring an intentionality to what we do. You know, as a church, we, we don't think that we have to fast, right? Nowhere in, in the Bible is fasting commanded, but we do think that fasting is a really beneficial thing to do. And, and, and so as a church, we want to take a, a bit of time to talk about what fasting is. If you missed last week, it was a bit of a, an introduction. We started with a bit of a history of fasting and, and really a discussion of the ultimate reason for fasting. We're going to talk about a bunch of other things that, that fasting can be, but, but we always want to keep front of mind for ourselves that ultimately fasting is a way of, of pursuing Jesus with our body. Of saying, hey, actually my faith is not just a bunch of ideas that exist kind of in the invisible realm, but, but Jesus made me in a body, with a body, and I can worship Jesus with my body as well. And so today I kind of want to pick up where we left off with this idea uh, that we talked about last week, this concept of a theology of the, of the body. A theology of the body. This idea that we find in Scripture that, that your body is a part of who you are. And, and so following Jesus includes and is not an exception to our bodies. Is that all right? That's good. Why don't you bow your heads with me and, uh, and let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as your people today. God, I thank you on this holiday weekend that you are a God of rest, that you're a God of, of replenishment. And I pray today for those of us in the room and for our church family who might be dispersed around the country getting in a little bit of a holiday. We pray that wherever we might be today, that you would bless us, that we would know that, uh, that replenishment and that rest today. But I pray today as we turn to your word that, that we would be encouraged, that there would be a reminder of the fact that you made us and that you said you made us well. And so today as we look at what does it look like to worship God, not just with ideas, but with our very body, with a wholeness of who we are, I pray that it would not be my ideas or my words, but that you would speak to us, that we would leave here encouraged, and we would leave here a clarity about what we could do, how we could step into fasting as a discipline and an opportunity to follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hey, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to the very start. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verse 7. We'll put it up on the screen behind me as well. There you go. The team is onto it. It says this, Then the Lord God formed a man. Everyone say Adam. Adam. Uh, formed a man from the dust of the ground. Everyone say Adama. There you go. Very good. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. Everyone say ruach. And make sure you get a good ch in it. Ruach. If you didn't spit on the back of your neighbor's head, then uh, you'll have opportunities later. Uh, and, and the man became a living being. Right here at the very start of, of, of the story of the Bible, we see that God formed a man. The, the Hebrew for man is that word I got you to say, Adam, right? And that God formed man from the ground. The Hebrew for, for ground is Adama, and it's a play on words, right? This is an earth man. Do you see what's going on there? He made a man of the earth. The man made from ground is called ground. Uh, and then God breathes into this man his spirit, his, his ruach. And, and so humanity is made. And so people come to, to be body and spirit, ground, dirt, dust, and something of the divine, unlike the animals who are just body, made of, of dust, but, but never breathed into, and unlike the angels who are just spirits, never kind of formed out of the earth. We as, as people are a combination of body and spirit made by God. And that's such an important thing for us to, to understand and to grapple with because if, if we get too much of one or the other, we get into some weird places in our, our lived out theology. For like, oh, I'm just a spirit and, and my body's just an evil meat machine that I am trapped in until one day I'm freed from my, my earthly confines. Then we, we treat our body in a way that is not honoring of the body. And in the same way, if we're like, oh, well, there's nothing after death, and I'm, I'm just a body, and, and there's nothing of the, the eternal in me, then, then nothing else matters, and, and, and life becomes just a meat machine. There's something in this combination of the two, body and spirit, which is so essential to who we are as a people of faith. The theologian Scott McKnight calls this idea an embodied spirituality. And, and it means that we worship God with our bodies, not despite them. See, there's a really important distinction there. It goes against the, the Platonistic worldview. That's a worldview that came from the, the kind of philosophy of Plato that Christianity can fall into, that your body is some kind of a, a, a flesh shell to be shed one day like a butterfly. I'm sure that's how you think about yourself, right? I'm just a, I'm just a you know, caterpillar in a cocoon here, and one day I'll spread my wings and fly. That's, that's not what, no, instead you are a body, and so what we do with our body matters, we see this all throughout Scripture. In fact, in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we see what happens with our bodies matters a lot. Turn with me if you have your Bibles, Genesis uh, chapter 3, 1 to 6. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Which is a lie, by the way, but that's another sermon. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. That's an exaggeration, but again, it's a different sermon. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat, it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it as well. And the story goes on, right? We know it. It's the the narrative of the fall. Now, I I grew up in church, and and so I've heard this story a lot. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you're probably familiar with this story. But I don't know about you. I can't think of one time that I've ever heard anyone make the point that the original sin described in this account here in Genesis has to do with food. Right now, the, the temptation wasn't just that the apple looked yummy. Although it does say that the apple looked good for food, right? Like I'm wondering if God in a providence and his wisdom had decided to make like a, a Brussels sprout bush from which if you ate, you would gain the knowledge of good and evil. If maybe the story would have played out a little bit differently. But again, I'm, I'm not God, but I'll, you know, constructive feedback I'll, I'll give to him one day. It was like, maybe you could have chosen something different, like some leeks. I don't think anyone's going to take a, a bite out of a juicy leek, you know, it just could have been a bit easier for us. See, but the, the core temptation here is not just that the food looks good. But, but, but instead was to re- redefine good and evil uh, for themselves, for Adam and Eve to essentially be their own gods, which is kind of what we focus on, right? Here's this moment of, of knowledge, of self-definition that, that they embrace. They choose to be their own gods, which is very true, and that's the primary thing we should notice. But it's important to also notice that the temptation or the means of the temptation was food, Right, this decision to, to eat or not to eat, it was the inability to say no to a desire. See, well, what I'm getting at here is that the fall is depicted as, as more than just a conceptual decision. That the serpent does not come to Eve and say, hey, well, just change your mind and start thinking of yourself in this way and things will change. No, it's, it's represented in the bodily action of eating. You know, Jesus, when he's tempted in the desert, he's been fasting and he's hungry. Which any of us who have ever fasted, we take some solace from, right? Well, okay, Jesus got hungry too. That's good, because that happens to me as well. And the devil comes to him to tempt him. And the first temptation that the devil brings is he says, hey, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' response is, no, no. Right? Like, did Jesus, what did Jesus say? It's no, just to, to jump ahead, right? Now, is food evil? Right? Like, is, 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 is this some sort of like, hey, food is a bad thing to do, don't eat any food? No. Right? Jesus is not anti-bread. In fact, I would suggest Jesus is pro-bread. A lot of his, his miracles have to do with bread and giving people more bread. A lot of the time that he spends teaching is spent around the table breaking bread, right? In fact, he commands us or he instructs us when he leaves, we have the last supper. And what does he say? He says to eat this bread in remembrance of me. Jesus is not anti-bread, like he's not some sort of, you know, anti-gluten warrior being like railing against, he's not a celiac, and then that's not any offense if you are celiac, right? We'll we'll pray for healing that you can enjoy bread. I mean, gluten, anyway, it doesn't matter. Pita bread's quite nice, and I think that's gluten-free, but continuing. It's not, it's not gluten-free? If you're a celiac, do not eat pita bread. It is not gluten-free. It would have been dangerous, right? I'm glad we got a medical professional on the front row just to help me out there. What I'm saying, Jesus is not anti-food. Jesus is not anti-bread. But fasting is a way of involving our bodies in our relationship with God. See, what's happening here is Jesus in the desert, he rewrites Genesis 3. He denies his desire for food, even though that desire is strong because he has a deeper desire. 
His desire for immediate gratification is not a greater desire than his desire to be a person who does not rely on his immediate needs, but can deny himself to follow after what God is doing, to follow after what he knows is right and true. He denies a strong desire for a deeper desire, and in doing so, he shows us a model of living from, not from surface level desires, but, but from something d- deeper, not, not rejecting the body, but including it. So, so what happens in your body, what happens to us when we fast? Right, if, if fasting is, is not just a spiritual discipline, or, or if maybe a better way to say it is we're not just a spirit and a body, but we are a soul, both intermingled. Why, do we, why can't we just think fasting thoughts? Right? Like why do we need to do something? Why does doing something with our body help? Well, first of all, it's really interesting what happens in the body when you fast. Do you want to know? I'll tell you very quickly. Again, I'm not a medical professional, so if you have any further questions, direct them to Dr. Steph Height uh, after the service. She's agreed to that. That'll be fine. She hasn't agreed to that at all, right? But I have a microphone. Uh, so there are three kind of distinct things that, that, or stages that your body goes through in fasting. The first thing that happens is in the first few hours after eating a meal, your body is feeding on that, that food in your stomach. We're all aware of and familiar with, with that process. But around about 16 hours or so after eating, so let's say you eat dinner at 6 p.m., or if you have young children, 4.30, but but let's say 6 p.m., around about 10 a.m. the the following day, your body switches from burning glucose for energy to primarily burning fat. This is a process uh, called ketosis, right, which is the whole keto diet sort of thing is trying to jumpstart that and get into burning fat earlier by eliminating sugar from your diet. And ketosis is a really good uh, thing for your body to do. It's a helpful stage. Now, around about 24 hours in, your body shifts into a stage from ketosis or kind of continuing it, but also starts a process called autophagy. Everyone say autophagy or autophagy if you're running it together, right? Autophagy in your body uh, is when your body begins to break down old and diseased or damaged cells, which are often referred to as kind of zombie cells, Right? They're, they're cells that are alive, but they're not doing what they should be doing anymore. Something has gone wrong internally within the cell, and it's, it's broken. And so this process begins at about 24 hours after having not eaten. And, and this is really helpful is these cells, you know, you just kind of in the name, zombie cell doesn't seem like the type of cell that you want hanging around in your body yet. Yeah? And, and so your body kind of cleans them up. It's, it's referred to as your, your body kind of taking out the, the trash, so to speak, which is helpful because these cells contribute to a, a raft of unhelpful health outcomes and diseases. And so because of this, we've started to observe a bunch of really interesting health benefits to fasting. We've found that it's definitely correlated with cleansing your body of toxins and increasing your metabolism. We've found that it can lower your insulin levels, inflammation and blood pressure. found that because of that autophagy process, your immune system can be strengthened. It can reduce your heart rate. And, and research is even starting to find now that it can be protective uh, and possibly even reverse uh, many diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and a range of neurological disorders, including Alzheimer's, which I just think is really interesting, right? That there's this wisdom given to us in the Bible that, hey, this is a good thing to do, and it just so happens that our body agrees, that your body is like, hey, yeah, actually, this is quite helpful for me. And so it comes as no surprise, I think, that medical experts have long been touting the benefits of fasting. But I want to be clear, while fasting is very good for your overall health, when we as followers of Jesus engage in fasting as a spiritual discipline, the aim is not just to clean out our gut microbiome or or take out the body's trash. 
There's something more to it. That happens, but, but we could say it this way. As Pope Benedict puts it, I don't know if you thought you were going to hear a Pope quoted today, but you are. Pope Benedict, a good friend of ours, says this, Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being, but for believers, it is in the first place a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to the will of God. What does that mean? Essentially, to put it another way, fasting is a way to grow in holiness. Now, holiness is a bit of a loaded word, right? Well, like holiness, what does that mean? I, when I think of holiness, sometimes I think of good things. Sometimes I think of judgy people. And I don't want to grow in being a judgy person, so I'm not sure if, if this sounds good for me. Holiness, in the biblical understanding, is a short kind of hand way of, of speaking about a theology of, of holiness is a theology of wholeness, completeness, of, of being right. What, what We could say it this way, what health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. By which I don't mean that ethereal, kind of unimaginable part of you, but your whole person, body and spirit. And, and in the same way that fasting allows your body to purify and purge zombie cells that are causing disease and destruction physically, and maybe those physical effects are, are observable truths of what is happening inside us in an unobservable level as well. Maybe there's something that is happening spiritually as we fast. To, to use the language of scriptures, fasting is a way to, to sanctify yourself. To set yourself apart as holy, meaning dedicated to God for his purposes. Now, I realize that's a bit heady, right? We're like, man, I don't quite know what that means. I understand. I'm a little bit more interested now. I wasn't sure if I was going to fast previously, but now you've talked about some health benefits. I'm quite a bit more interested. So maybe I'll do it and pretend that it's for spiritual reasons, uh, but, but I don't really get the kind of whole what else is going on here. To make sense of this a little bit more, let's suss out a bit more of this theology of the body. Turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 7. Now, last week I quoted Paul's line to the Corinthians where he says, your body is a temple of, of the Holy Spirit, right? Your body is a home for God. But listen, in contrast to that, what Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 24, he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, first of all, Paul is obviously channeling an early Dr. Zeus there, right? Especially in the, the opening of that. You know, I don't understand what you're saying. I do not do what I want to do. I do what I want to do. I do not do the things that I do not want to do. I do do, right? And you're like, oh, there's going to be a, I don't know, a, a who number three pop out of somewhere. And be like, yeah, yeah, me too. And there's going to be some green eggs and ham. And it's going to go down. But, but what, what Paul is saying here in this, in this famous passage, despite its Zeusian uh, tones, is he's naming kind of an existential angst in all of us. This, this thing that we feel around sin where what we want to do, so often we don't end up doing. And the things that we don't want to do, the things that we know are not helpful, we do. It's, it's that disappointment when we know that we're doing something that isn't helpful or life-giving. Have you ever had that self-talk? Like, oh, something happens, you're like, come on, like, you're better than that. Or maybe it's a bit of a harsher self-talk, right? Come on, you're better than that. It's quite encouraging. Sometimes it's... Uh, you know, oh, why, why, you're so stupid. 
Why did you do that? Like, I knew you would do that. I knew you would mess up. Anyone else ever kind of have those internal narratives going on? You're not alone. And it's the self-defeating cycle that that gets us a lot stuck. It gets a lot of us stuck. It, It has to do with our body. Paul calls it a body subject to death, which is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because, like, Paul, in your letter to the Corinthians, you said that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This seems like it's a good thing. Like, yeah, sweet. Look at my temple. This is amazing. But then in your letter to the Romans, you said it's a body of death. It kind of seem mutually exclusive. So, like, Paul, which is it? Is our body a temple of the Holy Spirit, like a really good thing? Or is our body a body of death that we are trapped in? Which is it? The answer, confusingly, is both. <laughs> Right, what, what Paul is saying in Paul's theology, in your body and your whole person, you have a spirit. You have a part of you that is a home for God, where your spirit is one with God, and you have a part of you that is infected with this fatal disease called sin. And, and the word that Paul uses for this warped part of our, our person is, is the flesh, or sarks in Greek. And it does not mean, as in the English phrase, like flesh and bones. It does not mean the body separate from some sort of spark which gives us personhood. It, it means our whole person, or it's a part of our whole person. But it's not a, a part of our body that is different to the rest of you are. It's a, this reminder that you are a whole person. You cannot separate the material from the immaterial. You are, you are not a pure spirit trapped in an evil flesh. You are dirt, a dharma, and, and spirit, ruach. And, and so instead, rather than flesh being like this, oh, that's my body and I've got a good spirit, flesh is a way of describing the corrupted part of our entire nature, body and spirit. Does that make sense? And, and, and so here what's going on is your flesh is your whole person, the physical and the spiritual. Some translations render it as our sinful nature, others as, as self and, uh, self-indulgence. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the instinctual drives for things like food and sleep and sex and self-preservation and instant gratification that have overpowered our will and bent our hearts away from love and turned them in on themselves. We go, oh yeah, that's physical, I get that. But it's also the more immaterial drives too. It's our desire for security and safety and affection and esteem and and power and control. Well, that's less physical. That's more like something innate within me. They're not bad things necessarily. There's not anything necessarily bad with a desire for safety or affection or or a desire for, for food or sleep or sex. Those are not bad things in and of themselves, but they are desires that have been disordered. In fact, that's the way that, that the theologian St. Augustine, from whom we get a lot of church history and thought, describes exactly this. He refers to the flesh as our disordered desires. See, my, my point is quite simply, or maybe, you know, if you're struggling to check along, less simply, but my point still the same is this. In our, our fight is not against the body. Let me say it again. My point is this. Our fight is not against the body. Our fight is for the body. Our fight is against the flesh, the corrupted aspect of us. Our fight is against sin. Right, our body, I hope you, you, you take away from this, our body is a good thing made by a good God that God calls good. 
And, and within our, our physical body and, and our immaterial person, all of who we are is a soul made by God to one day be redeemed by God. The future that we look forward to a redeemed heaven and earth is not some kind of immaterial body where we're just floating in the clouds. But as Jesus was, we will be remade anew in a new heaven and a new earth. Physicality is an essential part of that. And yet where we are here and now, we are still suffering the effects of sin. And so that corruptive effect of sin in our body and in that immaterial person of who we are, that is what the writers of Scripture call the flesh. And so in our war against the the desires in us that may be strong, but we know are not good, what do we do? What do we do when we can relate to Paul and Romans where the things that we do not want to do, we end up doing, and the things that we do want to do, we find we don't do? How do we fight? Well, Paul says that we're called to take up our cross in the language of Jesus and, and, and to put to death our flesh. Paul, sorry, writes it, calls it as crucifying the flesh, and it's all throughout Paul's letters. He writes to the Galatians, those who, do, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He writes to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and, and greed. Which none of us read that and we're like, yeah, no, I want to keep those things alive in me. Those things, right? We're like, yeah, that sounds good. But the question still kind of remains, doesn't it? Like, how? Like, like I guess I'll just stop sinning then. Easy, right? Like, oh, no, uh, lust, no worries. Uh, you know, um, anger, not for me today, thanks. Like, I'm, I'm feeling full. Uh, jealousy, no, thank you. I was jealous yesterday. I don't need any today. Uh, I've yet to find a switch in me that I can flick that just turns off my sinful nature. I don't know about you. If you have found one, I'd love to talk to you after the service about that. Later on in in Romans, Paul goes on to say this, Romans 8.13, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. What he's saying here is that we can't use our flesh to defeat the flesh. We cannot use our flesh to defeat the flesh. Willpower is not enough. He's suggesting we need the power of the Spirit. Now, I want to be clear, like, we're not anti-willpower, right? Willpower is, is great, but willpower is a finite resource. I found it, it runs out. You experience this every day. It's why it's easier to say no to cake for breakfast than it is to say no to ice cream for dessert, right? At some stage throughout the day, it just became a depleted resource, and you're like, oh, it's, the, it's, it's set, right? It's just fate has decided, ice cream is here, I cannot seem to be able to say no. Willpower works well against small things, small changes. Willpower versus a plate of cookies? Sure, right? We can do that. But, but willpower versus a pornography addiction or, or a substance problem or, or an unhealthy learned coping mechanism, it's very hard to simply white-knuckle your way through. And often if we do manage to do so, we simply pick up other problems along the way. Like, oh man, I managed to get rid of this compulsion or this unhealthy way of behaving. And in doing so, I seem to have picked up this one. <laughs> it's unfortunate, right? Like it's that thing where you're trying to like throw something away and it keeps on appearing in the other hand. Or, you know, the, you ever pick up those like fly papers and you flick it off and you're like, yeah, it's gone. And you're like, no, now it's on my elbow. Right? That's what it's like when we try and just use willpower. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to find a way to draw on the same power that Jesus did, the power of the Spirit, in order to live out his teachings. And so how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is through emulating what Jesus did, how he lived, what we might call the, the practices of Jesus or spiritual disciplines, especially fasting. 
Fasting is one of the best ways to draw in the power of God to transform our, our whole person. If you don't remember nothing else from today, then, then simply remember this. Fasting is a way to feed your spirit the good in you, the God in you, both physical and, and non-physical, and to starve the flesh. Fasting is a way to feed your spirit and starve your flesh. As I finish, and I'm, I'm almost done as the, the band gets ready to join me, I'll conclude by saying this. At least two things happen in us as we fast. The first is that fasting weans us off the pleasure principle. Right? Underneath our desire for food is, is an even deeper desire. What psychologists call this the, the pleasure principle. And this is the driving kind of motivation of the immature who only want to do what feels good in, in the moment. It's why your children will eat cake for breakfast every day of their lives if they can. Because cake for breakfast feels awesome. You can pretend it doesn't as a way of trying to avoid eating cake for breakfast. If that's a coping mechanism for you, that's fine. But we need to acknowledge the fact that cake for breakfast is great, except for how you feel afterwards. But in the moment, there is pleasure in eating cake for breakfast. And so the pleasure principle is just doing whatever feels good in the moment because it feels good in the moment. And it's interesting because this kind of pursuit of pleasure as a defining character of how we live life was once seen as a sign of immaturity, something that we grow out of, something that we teach our children, hey, cake is awesome, but we will not eat it for breakfast every day, just once a week. We'll call it pancakes, and now it's socially acceptable. Smart. Right, we will not eat cake for breakfast. In fact, the pleasure principle is fast becoming the new normal for all ages. So much of our culture is built around the mantra of if it feels good, do it. The core problem with this is, is, as we know, many things that feel good in the short term reap damage in the long term. And many things that, that don't feel so much fun in the short term often yield dividends for years to come. Through fasting, we mature beyond the pleasure principle. And we even learn how to be happy and content even when we don't get what we want. It can be a good morning even if I don't have cake or pancakes. And, and not even that, but even more so, we learn how to do the right thing, even when it's hard. And as a result, when we can't get what we want, due to maybe life circumstances or other people's decisions, or maybe even God, we are increasingly free of anger and anxiety. Instead, we can be joyful and at peace no matter the circumstances. That's the end goal anyway. I'll be clear, I'm not promising if you fast this week. You're going to be like, yeah, now I don't get stressed about anything. Like, I, world's easy. But there's something innately here and an intention of, hey, the pleasure principle, I, I can wean myself off that. Not every decision I make needs to fully only be informed by what feels good. The second thing that, that fasting does is it draws on the power of God to overcome sin. I've kind of hinted at this already, but fasting is a discipline. And so like any good habit, it's a way to increase our, our willpower muscle. It's a way to grow in both self-control and self-discipline. Self-control we could think of as the ability to say no to something. It's, it's the ability to not do something that you want to do but is bad for you in the long term. Self-control to say, hey, no, I'm not going to do that. And then self-discipline is the ability to say yes to something. To, to do something that you don't want to do but is good for you in the long term. And together, self-control and self-discipline make for a sort of, of, of self-mastery. 
And, and disciplines like fasting are a way to bring your whole person back under the mastery or the control of your will. But again, the willpower is not strong enough. Right, like I'm not saying if you fast and all of a sudden it's going to be like that guy, you know, Bradley Cooper and Limitless and you're going to be able to do, unlock the full potential of your brain, do whatever you want to do, pause time, quantum computations, right? Like I don't, I can't, I don't, I, I fast and I can't even describe the things that I'm trying to describe to you as having an unlimited brain. Right? I'm not saying that. Instead, what I'm saying is, is fasting is ultimately about drawing your energy from the Holy Spirit's power in a relational connection to God himself. As we come to God and we give Him our weakness, our inability, our lack, our attempts but falling short, as like Paul, we say, hey, I'm trying to do my best, but I feel like there are places in which I'm falling short and I bring you my intention. As we do that, God comes to us in the middle of that and gives us His strength. If you want to surmise kind of all of today, all of this, you could simply say it this way. Fasting is a way to turn your body from an enemy into an ally in your fight against the flesh, in your fight against that sinful nature that's in all of us, that broken desire that seeks to do the things that feel good in the moment, the strong desires, but not the truer, deeper desires that sit under it. Fasting is a way to turn your body from an enemy into an ally, which is why fasting is hard, right? Especially at first, and it does get easier, I promise, but not like rapidly and never gets easy. When, when I first started fasting, I remember I, I was in a bad mood for most of it. But, but now that I practice fasting fairly regularly, I find that the days that I fast are often the most joyful, peaceful, and grounded of my week. But, but at first, it is hard because essentially you're picking a fight with your flesh. With that sinful nature, you are rejecting the predominant narrative that we are enculturated into all the time to say, hey, do whatever you want to do because if you want to do it, it must be a good thing. And instead saying, hey, some of the things that I want to do are not super helpful. But the more that you do it, the more the flesh is weakened through self-denial and your spirit is strengthened by connection to God, the more free you become. To put it this way, that the discipline of fasting is a pathway to freedom. I know of multiple people who have been trapped in cycles of ongoing sin and have started fasting, and it's not a silver bullet. Right? It's, it's not a one-stop shop, but for many of them, it's been the first time that they felt like they took ground in a long time, especially when that sin was sexual in nature. Because fasting is one of the most powerful weapons we have to break the chains of sin and set our hearts free. Right? To go against the prevailing spirit of our times that pleasure is paramount and to instead pursue deeper desires of the person we want to become over the strong desires of momentary pleasures. Fasting, just like prayer, is about doing what we can do and asking God to do what we can't. Before we end, I just want to remind you of last week's main point and then we're done. The ultimate aim is of fasting is Jesus himself. Like it's a helpful, beneficial thing that happens that as we fast, we grow in wholeness of who we are, that we develop an ability to say no to our desires. But fasting is not a life hack to double your willpower. It's not some sort of way of, of supercharging your decision-making capacities. Yes, it's to grow in holiness or wholeness, but it's to open your whole person to the Spirit of God and let Him form in you a person of love and goodness. But even more so, it's what the ancients called union with God. As Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
It's, it's to see God. That's our deepest desire, to see the source of love and beauty and goodness. And holiness is not a formula. It's not a way of impressing God, of getting the balance sheet to the right place, because God is a person, not an equation. He is compassionate in His very being, and because of that, He's not forceful. He won't invade, but He will come where He's welcomed. And so what we do with our body matters. We can welcome God physically, and one of the ways that we can do that is by fasting. And again, I'll probably say this every week because I want to be clear on it, but you don't have to fast. Right? It's not commanded by, by Jesus or any of the writers of the New Testament. Jesus loves you either way. None of your how God feels about you is contingent on this. And yet all throughout church history, it's been advocated as wise and essential. In the same way that there is no substitute for, for healthy eating and regular exercise for a flourishing body, there is no substitute for fasting and a life of self-denial, maybe in the words of Jesus, taking up your cross for a flourishing soul. And remember that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Inherent to who we are as a people of faith is the instruction, the invitation to die to ourselves. But also remember that the cross is always followed by the resurrection. That in death there is life. That Friday is always followed by Sunday. And so if you want to find life, the invitation of Jesus is to lay your life down. And so quite simply, as we finish today, in a moment I'm going to pray and then ask Pastor Nick back up to conclude the service. But my invitation today is if you want to grow in holiness, if, if you want to see God in a greater way than ever before, then my invitation is to start practicing fasting. Join us in a few weeks' time as a church. But again, the invitation still stands. It's not too late to chuck in a cheeky we fast this week, right? Say, hey God, I don't know what this looks like. I'm not going to get it all right to start. I want to try this and, 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 and see what works for me. But to say, hey, actually, all throughout the rest of my life, I am bombarded with messages that say what you want to do is paramount. Pleasure is the defining principle of life. Go after what feels good. Avoid what doesn't. And God, I recognize and realize that that is not the truth, that that is not the way to life that actually in denying something of myself, something of maybe not even bad desires, but disordered desires, that I'm not going to find meaning in pleasure. I'm not going to find wholeness and, and affection or, 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 or physical moments, but that I need to find who I am in you. And that as I fast, I simply invite my body to embrace that truth. Bread isn't bad, but man shall not live by bread alone. Church, why don't you stand to your feet with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for this morning. I thank you for your invitation that, that we are a people who are, are more than just bodies, but our bodies are not bad. God, that you have made us flesh and blood, but also spirit, that we are a dirt and your breath. And so what we do with our bodies matters. God, thank you that you love us no matter what, but you also love us so much that you invite us into a way of life. And so I pray for us in the room here today, wherever we might be on this journey of fasting, whether it's something that we are familiar with and do not just once a year, but as a, a part of our normal practice of following you, or if it's something that we've never tried before and if we're honest, feels a little bit scary. Wherever we might be on that journey, God, I pray that there would not be a sense of compulsion, but invitation to say, hey, this way there, there lies something of life something of goodness, something of an opportunity. 
God, I thank you that we have space, that we have time. I pray for us as we approach the fast that that it would be a considered, measured, intentional decision to pursue you however that looks. But God, I pray for us that we would leave here today just more assured of your love for us, not just the immaterial, unseen part of us, but all of us. That you love us bodily, that you made us and you made us good, and that as we fast, we bring our body into agreement with that declaration. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.